0: Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. You know, we're in a data-driven world. We hear that phrase all the time. And I was doing some research, and I came across just some truly mind-blowing statistics about just how much of a data-driven world we're in. In 2020, so last year, the number of bytes in the digital universe was 40 times larger than the number of stars in the observable universe. Think about that for a minute. Wow. And projecting ahead to 2025, it's estimated that there will be 175 zettabytes of data in the global data sphere. So you're probably asking, well, how much is a zettabyte? Think about 21 zeros. That's 1,000 bytes to the seventh power. Immense amount of data. And the use of data devices, of Internet of Things devices, by 2025, 75 billion in use estimated in the world. By 2030, the World Economic Forum estimates that nine out of every 10 people on this planet, age six and above, will be digitally active. So data is here to stay, massive amounts of data. Marketers need to figure out how to harness that data to really get the best return on their investment and their marketing efforts. And interesting to note that this year, in the annual Gartner survey of chief marketing officers, marketing budgets fell about 4.6 points to their lowest level as a percent of company revenue in the history of that survey. So what that means is if budgets are getting squeezed, CMOs are expected to get greater return out of that smaller budget, they need to harness intelligence from data to get the most uh, out of that investment. And I'm so excited to have my guest today, Dan McGaw. He knows all about the power of data. Dan is an award winning entrepreneur, speaker, and the CEO of Maga.io, an analytics and marketing technology consultancy, and SaaS platform, UTM.io. In addition, Dan also finds time to be a 500 Startups mentor and has previously started his first business accelerator in his hometown of Orlando, Florida. Dan is a thought leader in the Martech world and CXL instructor on the topic. He's spoken at leading marketing conferences and online events, and his expertise lies in helping businesses extract and interpret the right data to grow their revenue exponentially. Dan has previously served as head of marketing at Kissmetrics, and in the past, he's worked as a CMO consultant for a number of high-growth companies, implementing tools, offering support, and analyzing data. In 2015, Dan was also selected to be a United States Ambassador of Entrepreneurship by the United States Department of State, where he had the privilege to advise the government, universities, and private corporations on how to build entrepreneur ecosystems, and even went to Mexico to apply that knowledge. So Dan knows about data, uh, he's grown successful businesses, and he's going to share his insights with us today. Dan, all the way from Orlando, Florida, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. This is great. So Dan, I'd like to just go and set some context. Obviously, you've had this successful career in helping others harness an understanding and application of data knowledge. But I want to go back and really understand where did your personal passion about technology and data start from? Was there one singular event that, that really set you down that path? Or tell us the background and the story of uh, what's led you to your career focus.
1: Yeah, you know, it's been, a, it's been a fascinating career, to say the least. It's been a lot of fun. So I appreciate you asking. The, um, you know, I got started in technology when I was about five years old. Um, my mom was going to college to be a computer science major, and she got an IBM computer. And back then, you know, IBM computers only ran on MS-DOS, um and i she trained me how to use ms dos so i can play games on the computer and that was what i was all about was trying to figure out how i could play this it was this french game that was called popcorn it was kind of like tetris uh but to get access to it i had to learn how to pl- write ms dos and be able to get access to the game and then i got more games and i had to keep learning how to be able to query those and pull those games up so that's kind of where it all started um, and I just, you know, I was always fascinated with technologies and computers. I was lucky to go to a school that uh, had computers for us when I was at a young age of six. Uh, and we had to start being able to use those computers. And when we're we're talking about this, this is back in 1989, 1990. Um, and I was very lucky to be on computers. And that was kind of where I just kind of gravitated to was technology. When we think about the the analytical part of me, you know, I don't know if... I'm necessarily um, like your traditional analyst. I think I just really want to understand how things work, why they happen. And my general curiosity is kind of what got me into data. I mean, I, you know, as a kid, I always used to take things apart. You know, I used to Uh, run out of uh, space on my computer for my Napster songs. And I would just figure out what, what drivers can I delete to create more space and how can I reconfigure the computer to do what I wanted it to do. So I've always just kind of been a tinkerer and wanted to figure out how things work. And I think as my career evolved and I got more and more into marketing, Um, you know, data was one of the things that told us whether something was working or not working. So um, I remember back in 1998, starting my first company um, and sending mass email um, before mass mass email even existed, and then trying to figure out, well, how do I know whether this email is working? How can I build numbers off of this? So, you know, I think it started at just a really, really young age. um, And it's kind of progressed in my career to the point where I was the head of marketing at an analytics company. So, um, but I think that's
0: how it all started. Wow. So it started at a young age and just, th- wow, thinking back to to some of those dates in the timeline of just think about the hardware, the software, the capabilities have just uh, evolved so much, right? <laughs> but it, it's got to be this exciting journey, right? Where you're just continuously learning.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I got my – I mean, I was – try to remind people, hey, listen, MailChimp was started around 2003 um, and I started doing mass email, mass email in 1998. So, I mean, I've just seen some shit would be the easiest way to say it. Uh, I've evolved with the, the uh, marketing technology landscape, but, you know, I never would have thought it would have brought me this far. I never thought that, like I never once said to myself uh, until I started this company, oh, I want to be in MarTech, right? Like I, that wasn't something I thought, it just kind of naturally happened.
0: Well, you know, speaking of MarTech, I've seen you described as a living encyclopedia of MarTech. And as we mentioned earlier, you've represented the U.S. as an ambassador in entrepreneurship. And I'd love to learn more about what you took from that experience in representing the U.S., um, what has been the most meaningful learning that you gained out of that. And did it give you a new perspective on the difference between success and failure for startups?
1: Um. It was, a, it was an amazing experience to be selected to become an ambassador of entrepreneurship. And it was not something like I was trying to do. You know, I had a relationship with somebody who uh, was friends with somebody at the, the Tijuana consulate, um, and it just kind of escalated from there. Um, it was a really, really interesting learning experience. I mean, when I before I was um, brought to Mexico and to, to meet a bunch of people in Tijuana and Mexicali and be kind of taken around to meet their politicians and stuff. I was kind of informed a little bit about the problem that Mexico is having. And it's interesting because Mexico is very different than the United States. In Mexico, the rate of entrepreneurship is extremely high Um, because in Mexico, right, you start a taco stand or you have a garage or you have any of these other types of um, traditional style businesses um, that are not technology based. But they have a lot of entrepreneurship. And the problem with their entrepreneurship is that it's kind of stagnant uh, in the fact that they don't get exposure to technology like we would in America. And that was one of the things that they wanted us to really focus on was that a problem they have in Mexico is that um, people are afraid to fail. So they, they choose the businesses which they know have nearly 100% uh, success rate. So, you know, my dad owned a garage, so I'm going to go start a garage. Or my, my mom ran a taco stand, so I'm going to start a taco stand. Um, So there's a lot of um, businesses like that, and they're trying to really evolve their economy and get them into tech, but there's a lack of exposure. And this was something that was really hard for me to understand. Um, You know, I had at the time, I think I had an iPhone nine or an iPhone eight or whatever. And I was talking to people there and I was I was talking about the iPhone and the technology and stuff like that. And, you know, somebody in the, the crowd was like, you know, I don't think anybody here has higher than an iPhone 4. And, you know, we started asking people about the technology they had. And, you know, just the lack of exposure to the technology is a lot different there. And then um, when they think about starting a business, because they have such a lack of exposure to the, the newest tech, they're super, super afraid of failure. So the entire thing that we talked about while being down there is that it's okay to fail. You should accept failure. Failure is a good thing. Uh, and you need to move past that. Um, so it was a really big learning experience to understand that, you know, one, I'm, I'm super privileged to be an American. I'm super privileged to have the opportunities and exposure I have. Uh, it made me very, very grateful for the things that I have. Um, and it just opened me up to a different way of looking at things and trying to understand, hey, listen, you know, um, their problems are much different than ours. And how can we help them overcome those? Um, so it was, it was a humbling experience. It was a great learning experience. Um, it really made me appreciative for what I have. Uh, and what I get an opportunity to do, and you know, I still have. I made some amazing friends down there, so I love uh, being able to go back to Mexico and see uh, everybody because uh, it, it, you know, it's a great place to visit.
0: Wow, what an experience! You took so much out of that, and you know, as marketers, and I've been in, in marketing for a long time. I get bombarded uh, emails, uh, phone calls. There's so many solutions uh, for entrepreneurs, uh, people working uh, on the marketing side, trying to grow businesses. So many options solutions about how to automate the marketing process or build a tech stack, perform deeper analytics. It's just the noise out there is amazingly huge. What are some of the biggest hurdles, uh, Dan, from your perspective that you see marketing teams are facing and better harnessing the power of all of these available tools? The
1: the hardest part is that there's not education out there which really teaches people how to become a technical marketer. Um, in college or in school or whatever you're doing, they don't really teach you the modern technology that you need to use to do marketing. So when you have all these, these new marketers coming into the workforce, you know, they, they obviously need to start out in an entry level position and try to cut their teeth. But it's just not easy to learn all the technical stuff. Um, I mean, I think the traditional marketer or even trained marketers, right, classically trained marketers are much more focused on creative branding, um, the psychology behind it. But they're not really trained on the technology aspect of it now. And marketing technology is really getting to a super technical place. And I think we just lack that education. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I I, uh, set out to start the National Association of Marketing Technology. Um, We've got a domain. We started to get it going and we were going to launch the uh, association and then COVID hit. Um, and you know, the way an association makes its money is, is events. So we decided, Hey, let's put this on pause. The world's going crazy, uh, whatever. But the whole reason why we wanted to start it was because, you know, there's just not a good educational system to teach people the fundamentals of marketing tech and even the technology you need to use in marketing. And, you know, I think some of the most important technology, uh, processes that we're just not like made aware of. Um, that are the most foundational part of marketing tech is how do you build out your taxonomy for your data, right? The data taxonomy that you use is probably one of the most critical things that you need to understand when building a successful tech stack. Um, But there's really no training out there for it. Um, It's extremely hard to find good training. Nobody teaches it. Um, But taxonomy is honestly, it's the the data naming, uh, the data dictionary of how your tools are going to talk and share data together. And you know this is a foreign concept to most marketers. Um, Google Tag Manager is a foreign concept to most marketers. Um, So I, you know, I think that there's a lack of education. Um, Luckily, most recently there's been communities like MoPros, MoPros, which is a marketing operations Slack community. uh, You know, they're coming out with courses, and there's some small courses out there. um, But there's just not enough education to really help. Transition the traditional or classical marketer, as I would say, or traditionally trained marketer, to become a marketing operations or marketing technology expert mm-hmm. which is kind of a hard lift.
0: Yeah. So, for even those that have deep marketing experience, it seems like uh, it, the the playing field is changing. Right. It's it's all about continuing to uh, develop your skills. Right. It's and it's we hear this term art or science in marketing. It's a combination of both, but feels like more of the science is becoming more uh, prevalent, right? In terms of the skills that marketers need to compete.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I won't, I don't want to limit people. You know, I'm a, I'm not a trained marketer by any means, as an example, right? Like I barely graduated high school. I didn't go to college. I, I was, I started my first business uh, at the age of 13 and was doing marketing, right? So I've just, Mm -hmm. I've learned through failure and I've been very, very fortunate in my career to have people like Neil Patel be one of my advisors, right? Like to have Neil Patel mentor you um, is, is is a godsend, right? Like that's amazing to have somebody like that really, really help you out. And I've had some amazing mentors in my career that have helped me. Um, so, you know, I don't, I'm not the most techno- technological person on my team as an example, right? I'm a, I'm a marketer at the end of the day. I'm a salesperson at the end of the day and I understand how to do marketing operations, but you know, I don't know how to use Google Tag Manager, right? I know what it does. I know how it works. I know how to delegate to my team. Um, and my team is more science based. I'm probably more art based. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm pretty damn technical, but you really do to be successful in the modern marketing world, especially after COVID, right? Um, you've got to get more science based. And um, I'm not saying that if you are art based, you can't hire science people to do the work for you. But if you can't understand how the science actually works. It makes it really hard to come up with marketing campaigns and to lead a team um, to, to do an effective
0: marketing campaign because it is it is extremely science-based now. Well, speaking of the science, uh, and you have the benefit of working with so many different companies and you're seeing what's going on out there, the good, maybe the bad um, opportunities for improvement. But with all this explosion of the availability of more marketing data, can you maybe share some specific examples of some of the smartest approaches you've seen on really getting the most uh, out of that available data.
1: Yeah. You know, I see bad all the time. You know, that's, that's when people come to me. Uh, they've got a bad issue. So we, we very fortunately get to see what uh, crap looks like on a day-to-day basis. Um, and then we have to figure out how to remold that and turn that into something that's like a diamond and make it look really, really good. You know, the, the biggest examples of where we see companies be extremely successful with their data is, one, they, they have a good taxonomy, going back to taxonomy. Um, they have a good data dictionary, right? They know what their data is called. They're tracking their data very successfully. Um, in many cases, people are using a customer data platform uh, to be able to capture all these touch points and be able to build a 360 uh, profile about their customers. So, you know, typically they're using some sort of CDP, customer data platform, to track their customers. Um, they're then funneling that data into uh, a behavior analytics tool, very similar to an Amplitude, MixPanel, Kissmetrics. Metrics. Uh, they're, of course, using Google Analytics. Um, they're also using that data from the CDP to funnel their data into their CRM, their marketing automation tool. And they're trying to honestly uh, recycle all of their data about their customers through all the tools that they can. So, if a Salesforce or if a sales rep updates Salesforce, well, that information goes into marketing automation, but it also goes into the behavioral analytics tool. Um, so, they're constantly trying to recycle mm-hmm. the data from any one of these tools to get it into other tools as well. Um, and then, you know, the, the really, really sophisticated companies that are, that are winning the game, um, in my opinion, and I see this all the time, are the ones who are sophisticated enough to use um, some sort of uh, export tool to pull the data out of all of these platforms and then to dump it into a warehouse, whether that be an S3 bucket, Redshift, Snowflake, whatever you want, BigQuery. I use BigQuery all the time. Um, Throw all that data from all of their different tools into the data warehouse and then stick a product like Tableau or Looker on top of it, maybe a tool like Glue or Holistics. And then what they're doing is they're running their analysis from all of those different tools um, in many, many different ways by leveraging a business intelligence tool um the problem that you have with company when you're using a behavior analytics tool like an amplitude or a mix panel is you're limited to the visualizations and the data that you can store in it and whatever their data model is when you put it into your own data warehouse i mean you can build your own data model you can do whatever you want you can combine mix you can do whatever you want transform the data using dbt um and then report on all kinds of crazy numbers uh to really drive the business and i see the companies who are taking business intelligence. Uh, extremely seriously. They're taking their data really, really seriously and tracking as much as they can. Um, and then running math on that later. Those are the companies that are winning. And then to take that a step farther, the companies who will crush you um, are the people that take their data really, really seriously. They make sure that it's, it's not garbage in, it's it's clean data in. And then when they have that clean data, they're taking data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence and sticking it on top of it. Um, to really predict what are going to be good outcomes um, or what's going to be a bad outcome and know where to focus their business. Um, and I'm seeing uh, many clients of mine really win this way. I mean, I can uh, service Titan, who is a, a, an amazing client of ours. I mean, they're, they're valued at over 8000000000 billion. They're the CRM for the trades business um i mean they're crushing it because they take their data so seriously um and they're using that data to grow their business and they're using artificial intelligence to optimize their their landing pages right um companies that are doing this right are are really killing it um so um i think that's like the 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 most modern stack you could get um and really kind of push your business forward but i, I will say it's it's a high class thing to get to um it's, it's out of the reach for some companies just due to the talent that they can acquire or the budgets they have, right. but it is a priority you need to make.
0: Right. And I, I'm assuming that part of this is just getting the most senior leadership in the company, maybe the C-suite. If they understand there's this gap, right? And this opportunity for competitive advantage, getting their full support, right? and Understanding too, to enable the marketing organization to go out and do a better job of those d- data analytics, right? Yeah,
1: you know, I mean, marketing technology uh, in the past couple of years has become the most expensive uh, part of the budget for marketing. Right, it's twenty five percent of your spend, and you're spending on average twenty four percent of your spend on advertising. So, um, you know, I think the the momentum is there. Um, you definitely have to convince leadership, and I think that's a, that's a hard thing to do for most uh, marketers. They don't understand. You know, I don't think most marketers, and I know I don't. I'm not trying to say anything negative about most marketers, but they don't think about business. Uh, honestly, they think about campaigns. They think about yeah. ROI on a campaign, but they don't think about what a CEO thinks about. So it can be very, very hard to manage up uh, when you don't understand what is how a CEO thinks. Uh, and that's a, that's a skill that good CMOS, good VPs of marketing uh, have,
0: and they're able to get the ear of the CEO to do what they need. Yeah, that's so true, and. Something else that uh, marketers are thinking about is how to create meaningful emotional connection and then getting a response from prospects, right? That's really the nirvana. And I've seen that you've spoken on the importance of creating what you call magic moments with prospects. Could you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it's a... Uh- Magic is uh one of the big things that we talk about at our company is um you know the 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 motion that you want to invoke out of the technology for prospect is they should feel like it's magical um, you know i i one of the problems that you have with all this technology and all this marketing is that we now have the ability to automate we now have the ability to scrape information enrich information and do all these crazy things. But then when we go to execute, we spam people with crappy emails that don't mean anything to them. We don't personalize and actually tailor it to them. We just we just send garbage. And that's usually because um, we're so self-centered on ourselves. And I hate to say it that way, but it's, it's very, very true. I mean, at the end of the day, 95% of the people out there doing marketing are selfish in the fact that they're thinking about sending that email and they're thinking about themselves. They're not putting themselves in their customer's shoes, trying to drive value for them. And when you do drive value for that customer on the other side or that prospect, um, it can feel like magic for them when you do something that's really, really over the top. And, you know, I'll use, I'll use a, a, an exact use case. So let's, let's do this test. What I'd like to do is I'd like to give all of your listeners a free copy of my book. If you're in the United States, I'll ship you a free copy of my book. But all you have to do is text this number. And this is a magical way that we do marketing. This will help you understand where you need to play if you want to do magical marketing. What I want you to do is pull out your cell phone. I want you to go to your text messages. And what you're going to do is you're going to text the word MARTECH. So M-A-R-T-E-C-H, all one word. Make sure spell check doesn't mess you up. But you're going to text this, this phone number. So 415-915-9011. I'll say it again. It's 415-915-9011. Now, when you text the word MarTech to this, what's going to happen is it's going to come back and it's going to say, hey, thanks. This is the bot who's trying to collect your information. And that bot is going to collect all the information so we can actually physically ship you a book. And then it's going to be at the last step. It's going to send you back to our website so you can confirm your address to make sure it's right. And then click submit and it's going to ship you the book. And all of this is entirely automated by our marketing technology. All the information that you give that bot is stored into the marketing automation tool, stored in our CRM, then gets stored into our analytics product. We then are able to enrich that data because we have a clear bit for enrichment that then leads scores you and then tells sales whether you're a good lead or a bad lead, as an example. This ability is what makes people feel magic, right? Because you have this experience with a robot, which feels really, really cool, Um if I just told you to go to my website, that's not magical. If I said, go to magal.io, click on the banner in the top of the site, and then fill out the form, that's what everybody does, right? So if yeah. you change that, that shift and you find more magical ways to make an experience which is going to engage your customers, that's really how you get magical with this marketing technology. Um, and you know, when you fill out that form, we're going to ship you a book, but I now have your information to send you direct mail. I can retarget you. I can do all kinds of things. But every one of those experiences, what we're trying to do is figure out how to be over the top and personalized to you um, and make it so it's magical for you. And that's an easy example of how you need to use your technology to make these magical experiences for your customers compared to just spamming them about stupid stuff that they don't care about.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is a great example of just creating a more personal, memorable experience and what you call magic. And we've talked a lot about this evolution of marketing. We've come a long way. We're getting more scientific about marketing. But Dan, for marketing and business leaders, are there some other compelling trends that we need to be thinking about, not just today, but tomorrow?
1: The, the biggest trend that's really come out over the last kind of couple of years that's really going to take off over the next couple of years is the first one is, is the concept of data governance. Um, you know, what the problem is, is now that we have the ability to collect data from everything, right? And we're just collecting so much data. The problem is, is that most companies don't have any data governance. They don't actually focus on the taxonomy. They don't focus on how the data is stored. Is the data structured in a certain way? And you're going to see a lot more uh, data governance products come out, a lot more data governance tools to make sure you can store your data effectively. I actually, I started a data governance company about four years ago. It's called utm.io. We are a data governance product, which helps large corporations create campaign tracking links and make it so all their marketers can make links without messing them up. So in, in their analytics tools, they can have correct marketing attribution for where a customer came from. You're going to see a huge insurgence of these tools over the next two years. um, Because one of the things that happened over the last couple of years is everybody tried to use machine learning and artificial intelligence over the last five years. And then the big problem was is that everybody's data was crap. And, you know, those artificial intelligence tools garbage in is garbage out. So they couldn't have good outcomes. So I think with this insurgence that you're going to see with data governance products and data governance tools over the next couple of years, this is going to help clean up the data. And then what that's going to enable us to do is have good data for machine learning and artificial intelligence to really be able to predict outcomes and do better things. Uh, And that's kind of what's going to happen over the next two to three years uh, is you're going to see this massive insurgence, of course, of AI, ML, but as well as data governance. So that way it can keep data clean. Um, so I think over the next five years is where you're really going to see that turn. And then in five years from now, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning is going to be in everything. It's going to be baked into every software you use. Every company is going to be using it in some way. But you can't get there unless you have clean data. Uh, and that's why data governance is so big right now for most companies um, that are trying to, to win.
0: Yeah. And. Traditionally, it's not been an easy thing to do to get your arms around existing uh, data, that whole cleansing process, right? I, I've got personal experience inside of organizations, and it's something you you talk about. You kind of have this nagging feeling. Uh, we, we're not totally clean, but it can be really tough. But now you're talking about uh, advanced tools that make that whole process easier.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot more tools that are coming onto the market that enable you to understand your data. There's um, a a ton of tools, which are coming out to enable that. So, you know, it's, it's not sexy. Let's just say that right in marketing, this is not the sexy job. This is not what people get all gung ho about. Um, but at the end of the day, um, this is really what marketing is going to be based on in many cases is your data. Um, there's a reason why customer data platforms over the last 10 years have become the most important tool for your, your stack. Um, and that's why it's just such a big deal. Um, and I talk a lot about this in my book, Build Cool Shit, is like, how do you use a customer data platform to make sure that you have good data? How do you enrich that data using third party vendors? And then once you have that data, how do you use it to successfully drive your business forward? And, you know, um, in my book, we talk about a, a customer of ours, uh, Real Thread. Um, they grew their online ordering uh, by 51 percent in 12 months by just getting their data cleaned and then using that to actually personalize to their customers and segment their emails and then create a lead scoring model so that way they can filter down on what leads actually mattered compared to the ones that are just tire kickers. So um, you know in the next going back to the point of science, you know, marketing is really for the companies that are winning, uh, they're they're looking at it like it's a scientific game and then using that data to create hypothesis, just like you would do in a lab. What hypothesis wins, what hypothesis lose, right? It's it's very, very scientific now.
0: Right, right. So it is scientific, but I like to shift gears a little bit, Dan, and move over to the human factor because you and I both know in any successful organization that cross-functional relationship building is very critical to sustain that growth. And nowhere is that more true than when we look at that relationship between marketing and sales. From your perspective... What are some of the key drivers that make a difference in creating more healthy, productive partnering, that marketing-sales connection?
1: Yeah. You know, the the, the fundamental problem with marketing and sales is leadership, right, um, and culture. I, I was very, very fortunate when I was the head of marketing at Kissmetrics. Um, I was brought in with a brand new leadership team. So we had recently brought in a new CEO. I was brought in as basically the the CMO. And then Chad was brought in as our CRO, head of sales. And one of the things that Chad and I agreed on when we both uh, met each other was like, listen, we're going to create perfect alignment between our teams. um, And we're going to make sure that we don't have this issue where we're siloed. Um, and that was something that fundamentally was able to change the game for us in our organization. And one of the things that we tried to do was that, you know, Chad would come to our weekly Friday meetings with the marketing team. I would go to the weekly sales meeting with the sales teams. Um, when we would do our team offsites, sites, uh, we would invite the teams to kind of collaborate together um, And because the, the best way that marketing can learn is by listening to what sales is hearing. And the best way that sales can be prepared is by knowing what marketing is doing. And you need that alignment. And I think a lot of organizations, um, you know, the leadership is failing them in bringing those organizations together. It becomes a war. Well, marketing's driving crap leads and sales not competent. You know, that's a leadership issue. That's a culture issue. Um, And that's just that's just unhealthy and unproductive. Um, And companies who are struggling from getting alignment there. I mean, it really does come down to company culture It really does come down to that leadership team. Um, When you read the book, five dysfunctions of the team, right? If you have those leaders on your team, fire them. Um, I would not, I would not deal with that. I would not tolerate that. I would not handle that in my own company. And when I deal with that, even on my clients companies, I call it straight out. I mean, I've straight up said you two are pathetic. Like this is not even how this should work. The fact that you two are arguing about this compared to trying to figure out a resolution, you should both just quit your jobs. Um, I have no problem being harsh to my clients because I'm a consultant. That's what I'm supposed to do. Um, But you really do need to bring those two teams together. Um, You need to create um, huddles. Uh, One of the things that we focused on when I was at Kissmetrics, because this is a huge focus of ours, you know, I would fly into San Francisco for a week a month to work out of the office. Um, And we would bring my marketing team in, who was remote, uh, into the office once a quarter. And then as well as the sales team worked out of San Francisco. Whenever we had those teams there, we would do a happy hour with both teams and get them together and, you know, try to get them to have a few drinks together and become friends. Um, And, you know, our marketing and sales was extremely aligned because of that. They all worked really, really well together. Um, And it it proved in the numbers. I mean, we were growing like crazy. So it's unfortunate when I see these companies that have silos between marketing and sales. I think they need to become a lot more closer together. And that's why in our organization, um, we call it growth. Um, I have a VP of sales. I oversee marketing here, but we have the same budget. Um, You know, we have the same OKRs. We're focused on very, very similar things um, because at the end of the day, we have the same objective. We need to drive revenue and we need to do it as a team. Um, So, you know, we don't separate that. Don't get me wrong. There's obviously separate teams, but um, we're extremely aligned. And I think most companies just get that wrong.
0: Yeah. And from my experience, too, Dan, that that transparency across that teams, you know, how do you build trust? Well, you build trust by being very open, transparency, sharing what your goals are. I know from a marketing standpoint, you know, where sales is so highly metrics focused, right? Around um, revenue, right? And close rate. If the marketers come forth and are very transparent to say, we have very quantitative and measured goals too, I found that that builds more credibility and more trust too, across those teams.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. You need to be transparent, uh, and you need to be open, and you need to find ways to share more. Um, you know, it, one of the things that I can speak back to, uh, and I learned this when I was at the head of uh, growth at Code School. Um, we didn't have a sales team at Code School. Uh, that I helped form that team right before I left and went to Kissmetrics. But every Friday, um, each department uh, would make a five-minute screencast of their update about what happened in their department this week. Um, The development team would also make five-minute screencasts of show and tell of like, I worked on this and they would share that out. And at the end of the day on Friday, we would watch these presentations uh, to gain alignment and get involved. And I took that same thing to Kissmetrics with me. Every Friday, I would send a five to eight-minute screencast out to the entire company, um, saying this is what marketing is working on. And we would try to be as transparent as we could um, because that knowledge and that information is going to be what arms the, the rest of the company to know how to be engaged with what we're doing. Because if I'm driving, at Metrics, when I started, we were driving 1,400 leads a month. Um, by my sixth month, we were driving 4,500 leads a month. Now, if sales doesn't know why those leads are coming in, how those leads are coming in, they're not prepared to engage them. And we really had to make that clear uh, for them so they could be successful. And I think that's where most marketing orgs go wrong is they look at sales almost as if they're the enemy. Um, They're not aligned with them in many cases. They're not buddies with them. Um, So they don't prepare them for whatever's coming. They may get sales, may be aware, oh, we're doing a webinar next week, but they're not told why the webinar is important, who's in the webinar, what are the three takeaways that you can anchor on. Um, So I just wish there was more alignment and collaboration.
0: Yeah, thanks for reinforcing the importance of regular open communication and then that commitment to relationship building. And, you know, we've been in this highly disruptive, challenging environment the past 18, 24 months with the pandemic and a lot of turbulence out in the market, Dan. But despite all that, when you look at the future, what makes you optimistic?
1: Um, you know, that's a hard thing to ask an entrepreneur because like as an entrepreneur, I am an optimist, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So like I only see opportunities, uh, in most things. So, you know, the thing that has me most excited, honestly, about the future is change. Um, you know, the world is going to continue to evolve and it's going to continue to change and it's going to, the change is going to happen at a very, very, uh, fast rate. I'm really, really excited about medical technology right now. Um, you know, medical technology, I'm super excited about over the next 10 years, right, we're going to be able to print somebody's lungs. Um, So like, random things like that is what gets me excited. But, you know, I grew up with a (laughs) A chaotic uh, childhood, so like I love change and I love chaos. Um, so you know, honestly, that's the fact that the world is going to continue to change at even a faster rate over the next fifty years uh, is probably what I'm most excited about because I'm I'm uh, adept at being able to change and be agile with whatever's coming at me, uh, and much faster than other people. So while that might not be the the answer you would look for, uh, I'm just excited for all the change that's coming and being able to take advantage of all those
0: opportunities. No doubt. The one constant change. So as we wind down our conversation, Dan, do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are seeking long-term success?
1: You know, I think uh, I read a lot, you know, I, I've read in the last year, I've read close to a hundred books. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I would advise is there's a couple books which, which have really kind of uh, set me uh, on the right path. You know, there's a book called Anti-Fragile, uh, which I think is a really, really good book for leadership Um, because it teaches you a lot about how do you adapt to this change that's happening. Uh, I read it right when COVID was happening and, you know, it really kind of helped me out. But I would also say the book that I would read right after it is Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. Um, Those are two books that really, from a leadership perspective, kind of helped me understand I need to be able to create a lot of options for myself. But I also need to understand that you need to be patient and you need to wait. And sometimes you don't need to make a decision. You can wait a week. Um, and I think those two books really kind of helped me recalibrate what I was thinking about the world. Um, so that would be the final advice that i try to give other executives is check out those two books, uh, take in what they mean to you, uh, and then use them constructively moving forward.
0: Dan, appreciate that. We can always use uh, recommendations to add to that quality reading list. And thanks again also for just coming and sharing your perspective, uh, your outlook for the future reinforcing uh, that we have this amazing opportunity to achieve competitive advantage, harnessing the power of data and just using it uh, in a smart way. So thanks again for coming on and sharing your thoughts. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And a reminder to all of you to please go out and continue to give us the gift of feedback, rate and review the Market Impact Insights podcast. You can easily do that on all the major platforms, including Apple and Spotify. We appreciate that. And a reminder as always to make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.